Hello, welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Retail Ask an Expert series. I'm your host, Ann Mazinga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail media outlet that is all about the companies, the technologies, and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail, or as we like to say, the retail media organization that focuses on tomorrow today. Uh, Chris, today we have one of our favorite guests of OmniTalk. Yes. Back for his second time as an expert. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Placer AI's VP of Marketing, Ethan Chernofsky. Ethan, welcome back to OmniTalk. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's great to be here. Yeah, I know. It's been a little while. Last time we were talking about uh, Bed Bath & Beyond and Amazon Go and all kinds of things. So I'm excited. Yeah, the big bets last time, right? The big bets. Now, now we're here to talk about holiday winners, surprises, and the early poll setters for 2023. Which, which was hotly debated between Chris yes. and I is the term. I yes. never, I was not familiar with the term. Which I think I might have screwed that one up. Well, I don't know. I just was not familiar with yeah. it. Apparently, I don't watch enough F1 racing yeah. or horse race. I mean, yeah. I watch, I, I horse race. Is that a yeah, horse I racing? I don't think horse racers have a pole position. I don't think. I don't think it's in the same manner, but I don't know. But Ethan, I have to ask you because it's the obligatory question too. What's the weather like in Tel Aviv right now? I mean, it's actually not great. We have really today. Okay. So it's like, it's a little bit, but I feel like it's still better than Minnesota without always. a doubt yes always. always i think i think that is a, a card carrying axiom that we can all believe in wholeheartedly most most of take the time. that to the bank yes yeah take that to the bank um all right well let's uh before we get into our discussion with ethan here let's just uh give a quick reminder to those of you who are watching the early release of this interview live with us right now on linkedin you can feel free to ask your questions at any time via the chat session window that's at the right hand side of your screen and Ethan and team at Placer will make sure to answer those questions for you. So Chris, let's kick it off. All right. Well, before we get to the big recap of 2022 and what you're already seeing in 2023, let's have you first give us an overview, Ethan. Tell us a little bit about what Placer is just for a level set for those that are maybe new to you and to your company and what it is that you do there. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. So I think, uh, you know, kind of the, the starting point is always uh, we're a location data company. In the simplest terms, that means people vote with their feet. We're showing you how they vote across the United States every single day. We do that by observing a panel of over 30 million devices. Very critically, it's all de-identified anonymized data. So we are GDPR and CCPA compliant. We then analyze that data with machine learning and AI algorithms and present it in a wealth of different reports within our platform on things like cross shopping, the customer journey, visit counts, true trade areas, and a whole lot more. Uh, if anyone is interested, we do have a free version of our of our premium product that's available at our website. We also have a section that is the home to our free tools at uh, placer.ai-the square. Nice. Ooh. Free is always good. The square. The square. What's the square, Ethan? The square is where people gather to exchange ideas. Oh, so that yeah, kind of square. School town okay. square. Okay. And so uh, that's I where got we it. gather. To exchange our ideas. That was also the name of a, I think one of the cafes where all the the people on a 80s show gathered. Was that like Saved by the Bell? I have no idea, Anne. Oh, you're going, you're going I'm deep. Going I never deep watched that show. Cuts. I wasn't, oh a, I wasn't a Saved by the Bell guy. Oh my gosh. All right. Ian, we Ethan. were going to call it Central Perk, but then Central, that was Central it. Perk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll double check for that. Central later. Perk where data goes to be shared across <laughs> everyone over coffee. I love it. All right. Um, okay. So Ethan, easy question to start here. We just got out of the holiday season. We're looking back who won. 
Okay, so I think there's there's a clear winner and then there's a complicated winner, but I think it's it's probably the more important winner. Mm. So the clear winner when we start off is is beauty. So think Ulta, Bath and Body Works, Sephora. Okay. Of all of the segments we saw, they were the one group that really overperformed. And okay. what was interesting here is our expectation for the holidays had been better than 2021, worse than 2019. That was the range that we were expecting for visits. What we saw in most cases was lower than 2021 and lower than 2019, hmm. except for beauty. Beauty was blowing things out of the water from the very beginning. And I think it's this unique confluence of factors that kind of drive core trends for that segment. So you know, we see the return of events. We see the return yep. of going to work, driving that kind of makeup push while health and wellness still drive the rest of that kind of product range that these kind of brands focus on. And I think there's also this super experiential element that drives people to the store. And like, as much as we love kind of digital testing technologies for what makeup or fits your specific skin tone, it's still better done in a location. Yeah, without a doubt. So, so that's something that's really big. But then we what, think about yeah, Ethan, can I ask you a question there real quick? So I want to make sure I heard this because we're actually for those watching now, we're we're seeing this information live too. We have not seen this information ahead of time. So Ethan's sharing it with us so we can digest it in real time with all of you. Um, so I just want to make sure I heard that right. So compared to 2019, most store traffic patterns were actually below those levels. Is that right? Uh, with the exception of beauty here? Yeah. And wow. 2021, which is the no harder idea. challenge. Yes. Right. I had so no idea. What's really interesting here is like kind of the why, right? So yeah. you saw like NRF put out data that said kind of visits were way up. But what NRF does is it asks people, did you visit? Did you not visit right. a retail location? So it's this kind of binary question. Mm. What we're looking at is how many visits did you make? So if Real you data. went to, if you went to, you know, in 2019, you went to Walmart and Target. And then this year you went to, you know, just Walmart. We're seeing mm. a decline. Whereas for NRF, they are asking last year, did you visit? This year, did you? Did you? Mm. And if you went this year and you didn't go last year, that's an increase. So it's it's a different perspective. But what's right. been really fascinating is, again, that that dynamic of why. So we're seeing visit durations increase. So if you look at like Target and Walmart, that median visit duration was up pretty significantly. Mm -hmm. And so the experience in those locations was extended. And there was this kind of early shopping season again. And then there was that late surge that we saw at the end of the holiday season. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the, the key takeaway of one, the visit meaning more because people are going to fewer places, but they're spending more time. But then also that extended holiday season, not just October being a part of it again, which is significant in and of itself. But the fact that we saw those big surges at the end of the year, both compared to 21 and compared to 2019, mm. It tells us a few things. One, the holiday season is no longer a sprint. It's a marathon. It starts mm -hmm. in early October. It runs till late December, if not early January. Mm -hmm. And you need to have strategies that align through all different periods during that, during that season. So the shopper in October is not going to be motivated by saving money. They're motivated by getting products on time. I'm one of those shoppers. I like to make sure my list is covered as early as possible so I don't have a little right. panic attack. And the shopper who's going... On December 21st, 22nd is probably also not as motivated by price. They're motivated by the, uh-oh, I didn't get a gift for <laughs> person X on my uh -oh, list. Oh, crap moment in the head, right? <laughs> exactly. And understanding those different motivations is going to create a really interesting dynamic through these retail seasons. 
And then when we think about the longer visit durations, the fact that once I get you in my store, I have this more powerful opportunity than I had in the past, but it's harder to come by really changes the strategies that I think we're going to see retailers deploy in years to come. Well, that's there's something you said that I think is really fascinating. We need to talk about a little bit too. The whole the season starts in October. Like you said, you said they don't care about price; they care about getting stuff. But I imagine having a price decrease doesn't hurt either. Which, you know, going back to my days at Target, we I mean we never really talked about October as the holiday season. So that's that's pretty different. And I wonder if that's due to the Amazon effect with Prime Day pulling all that demand forward. Yeah. And Ethan, how much do um, do some of these other things come into play, like the deal guarantees from big players like Walmart and Target saying we will, you know, we will not give you a better deal until the end of you know this year. If you if we do, if you see it priced that way, we'll change that. Is that is that uh, is that impacting, you know, decisions or types of consumer behavior, do you think, from October on? I think it, it has an impact on the fringes. So yeah. like, I think there is definitely a, a small but significant group that is heavily influenced by that. But I think the overall trend is driven by this sure. kind of larger shift that's taking place. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So any other big standouts from the holiday season? I mean, I really think like there is, it's important to just give the trophy to beauty because that to was beauty. the one that really, really stood out and saw the strongest strength. And I do think it's extra unique because when we think about those who had a more difficult period, think like consumer electronics, home improvement, we talk about the pull forward of demand. Beauty had the pull forward of demand as well. They just were able to overcome it with kind of a whole other piece of their offering. Right. And price points are a lot more attainable, especially for a more cost conscious consumer, not knowing what they're going into in 2023 with a, a potential recession with inflation and other categories. I mean, it makes sense that beauty is kind of a standout um, in in this this report that you have. It's interesting, too. Like when I think back to what I purchased for Mrs. Omnitalk, mm-hmm. it was heavily beauty products this year, too, yeah. which maybe that was just not in you know, our line of thinking the previous two years as well. So that's, that's interesting that that's coming back. And that was the standout. They won the beauty pageant, I guess. All right. So now Ethan, let's broaden this discussion out. When you look back on 2022, which retailer stood out as the biggest surprises, both good and bad? So I think there was kind of, for us, it was, it was sector-based. So I think when we think about, Mm. let's start with a negative and end on the high note. I think- the the pull forward of demand concept that impacted home improvement and consumer electronics it's something that you know a lot of people were talking about pretty early on. We did not expect it to have this big of an impact. Home improvement mm. visits were down, you know, pretty significantly throughout, and we thought that kind of the shifts in migration, the idea of people moving to the suburbs, that would offset some of that challenge. And I think it was a really big deal, and it had a much larger impact than at least we expected it to have initially. And so that was mm. a a surprise, at least for us, of of how big of a challenge it was. And I think it's it could be the key to some of the surprises for this coming year of just the depths of of that obstacle that that kind of some brands and segments needed to overcome. Hmm. When we think a little bit more kind of positively, I think there's a few segments that we look at. So one, groceries continued success. When you look at the comparisons to the year prior, things were down a little bit, but overall compared to pre-pandemic, they were still way up. And that was with you know, restaurants coming back, QSR chains coming back. So I think that was a really strong sign for the grocery industry as wow. a whole. And also inflation too, right? I mean, you would think that would actually create less trips to some degree. 
I, what's interesting is most of the declines we see, we actually think are attributable to declines in group size. So if you think at the height of the pandemic, it was like a family outing to go to the grocery store, mm. whereas now it was much more kind of solo trips. And that combination was actually super interesting and something that gives even more validity to this idea that grocery saw this longer term boost from yeah. pandemic driven shifts. Hmm. Interesting. Wow, that's crazy. I got to digest that one. I know. Ethan, talk to us a little bit about the the change in visits that we're seeing up on the screen right now, because some of these are standing out to me are a little surprising, especially like a 3% increase in mall traffic. So, I mean, this this is really interesting for us when we look at 122 compared to 21. So malls were one of our really big winners over the yeah. year, and they were going to be one of the ones we called out specifically. When we mm-hmm. think about in H2 overall, that second half of the year, business were down just 3% compared to where they had been the year prior. When we look at January, they were already up 4%. And I think that the unique ability of malls to kind of grab audience, to create a draw, to have something going on that's interesting and exciting, I think is really powerful. It also speaks to this shift that they've made. And we discussed this last time, to having a more comprehensive holistic experience within those walls of the mall where you're not going to just shop you're going to shop to grab dinner to have experiences as well and the top malls in the country are definitely seeing that shift pay off yeah i thought it that in i didn't tell you this but i was in the mall of america this weekend on Mm -hmm. saturday packed yeah like insane Mm -hmm. like the busiest i've seen it in years and we've gone in there pretty frequently so that's that's interesting to hear too I'm curious, Ethan, too, like what's some what's going on with this data around dollar stores and superstores, too? I've got some inter- I, I want to hear your thoughts there because it's bringing up some interesting conversations in my head about that one, too. I mean, I think dollar stores and discount, I mean, they were super well positioned for what we've seen. And mm-hmm. obviously, their visits are heavily impacted by the rapid expansions. But mm-hmm. when we look at a lot of these top chains, whether it's a dollar general, a big lots of five below, mm-hmm. we're seeing the visits per location numbers going up as well are really aligning closely. And that tells us that one, there is this increased focus on the unique value proposition that they bring to the table and that the expansions made sense. They weren't overextending. There was growing demand for that type of retail. What about the superstore number in Q4? Like, what is that? What is there anything to learn from that? Like, I'm curious. I don't think so. Because don't. I think it's, okay. I don't. I think superstores, we think about the Walmarts, the Target, they're mm-hmm. unbelievably strong. And the minor drops in visits to me is more a focus on drops in group size. It's more a focus on increases in visit duration than any decline in strength. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. And Ethan, how do, when you look at visits at Placer, how do you, like how does this take into consideration like a curbside visit versus walking through the store doors kind of a visit? So a curbside visit that goes beneath our visit threshold, so about five to seven minutes, wouldn't be counted here. Anything that extends beyond that is counted. Okay. okay. Which I think it could be, I mean, that brings up another interesting point here, especially when we're looking at superstores and mm-hmm. the increase that we're seeing in in curbside pickup services from the big ones like Target and Walmart. So Interesting, uh, interesting to take into consideration here. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'd, I'd love to know some of the, the the retailer data too, because like the one hypothesis I've always had is like Target, you know, had its peak, yeah, you know, in 2021, the best year it's ever going to have. Walmart is probably still doing well because of food and its position there. I'm curious to see as you click in these numbers, 
you know, throughout the year, but maybe we'll see that as we get into 2023. Well, yeah, Ethan, let's go into 2023. Um, it's kind of hard to know what to make of everything given, you know, the COVID impact that was still lingering from 2022, but who looks like they're off to a great start this year so far? So, I mean, I'm, I love this segue because I think it's a chance to kind of like poke Chris on his, on his target comment. I, wow, I love awesome. I love when you poke me and it's, <laughs> it's so important to call out. I mean, how, how well they're doing. Like, so they're, they're they? up year over year. They're up hugely compared to where they were pre pandemic, which I think is the, the more important context for them of yes. Even if 21 was this peak, that's difficult to reach again. The idea that they saw this long-term boost as a result of what they accomplished is, is really significant. And I think wow. it speaks to their focus on innovation, their focus on being multi-channel, uh, big, big target fan and seeing this kind of, you know, warmed my heart. I think there's other retailers that we've seen start the year well. I think we look at, uh, you know, specific retailers like HEB or Trader Joe's and the doubling down from an HEB on being a locally focused retailer. Forget that they're in grocery, having products that really speak to their local audience and then being embraced as a result. Trader Joe's, understanding who their audience is, having the products that get them excited, having an experience and a customer service focus that generates so much goodwill amongst that audience, clearly something that's really powerful to look at. And by the way, not all grocers are up year over year. I mean, that is a, mm -hmm. a unique thing to be in this environment, considering the heights hit last year when we had Omicron and grocery was basically the only thing people were doing. Well, I that's my question. Price, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm curious too. Like, that's my question. Like how much of these numbers are buoyed by the fact that Omicron was pretty prevalent in 2021. So when you're looking at this year over year comparison, um, I guess it's still a year over three year change in visits too, right? That's what's on the right-hand side of that ledger, which is still really strong for all three of those retailers. You mentioned HEB, Trader Joe's and Target. So I guess I just answered my own question there, right? I mean, you, you did a fantastic job doing it. And uh, I do think like, Thanks, like that, of course, and that, that context is so important though, because I do think, you know, we are in this shift where we want to go back to year over year to the greatest extent possible because mm -hmm. year over four years insane. We're just missing too much with that distance. But at the same time, we do need to sometimes give ourselves that marker of like, all right, they're not quite where they were a year ago or even two years ago, but look at how much further they are than when they started this thing off. Right. And it's really important context. And it's especially so in grocery, looking at, at kind of retailers like, like Target as well. I mean, other winners for us thus far in the early part of the year, off price has been a big one. We're seeing visits up. Now, clearly, again, that comp mm. to a year prior is a little bit lighter, but I think mm -hmm. there's more going on than just that, that comparison. Mm -hmm. uh, discounted dollar continues to be really well positioned, but that's mm -hmm. to be expected in a difficult economic environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious too. That off price comment's interesting. Even the target data is interesting too, because you know, we'll, I guess we'll get the signal here as we get through the first quarter of earnings, but you know, how much of that is buoyed by inventory positioning, intense markdowns, intense sales, the retailers in general needing to distribute their goods through those off-price retailers to liquidate them and right. people being able to find great products at great prices in those stores. Yeah, time will tell, I guess. Absolutely. Um, all right, Ethan, any other, any other key notes we should take out for anybody else we should be watching out for in 2023? I mean, in terms of like looking ahead, there's a lot of clear things to, to kind of get excited about. I think we are still, and like you said, a big shout out to any brand that's showing strength in this early period of the year, but it is 
way too early to call anyone in or out in terms mm -hmm. of like their positioning. Like we're seeing visits way up for someone like Kohl's, but they were also uniquely affected, you know, last year. So it, it, we're still in the early stages and it's too difficult to tell, but I think the ones that are up here is the ones you could feel good about thinking this is a real strong start. Right. And again, that's H-E-B, Trader Joe's, Target, and the off-price retailers. Yeah, those are the ones you're really calling out. So do you have any, I'm curious, because we, we'll get you out of here on this. Do you have any big predictions for this year? You're kind of a prediction guy. We always like to end with a little, oh, you do. do. Oh, Look at that. Yes. Asking I, you I so love wow. predictions. Yes, I've you got, do. I've Bed, Bath, and Beyond. <laughs> no, but anyway. Guys, you, 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 you hear me now. You, you wait for it. I mean, we also, we called Macy's early. I want like credit for that one. I'll give the you credit one for that for one. With, the, the worst one for me with you, Chris, though, is still Staples, but it's, it's coming back. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. We had a big argument on that three or four years ago. That's right. <laughs> what? I'm not proven right on that one yet. Um, so I think there's two things that are really important to look at. One is kind of in what I'm calling, at least as of today, the Omni double down okay. and it's the increased exchange of information between the two and the increased awareness of retailers of how to best utilize those two channels in harmony. And it's everything from the value of stores, retail media networks, emphasizing discovery and locations, trying on things, fit, uh, all of those values, but also kind of places where you didn't necessarily expect it. So using online data to inform site selection, mm. using offline data to inform the process of loyalty. So if I come into a store, try something on, can you carry that over into my online experience? And some of the lessons that we can learn from both. So obviously there's a ton of great things that offline, offline can bring to online and online can bring to offline. One of my favorite examples is where's exit intent in the physical retail store? Right. So if I look for a product, you don't have it. Where's the stand where I can then order that product and get it straight to my house? Because for me, one of the biggest takeaways of the retail season was shopping on Cyber Monday, not finding the product I want at a major retailer, and then going on my phone and getting it from someone else because that was the first one that popped up and right. it was a lower price than the retailer I was willing to buy it from. So you lost a sale just by not having that component within. And I think it's such an important area for when we look ahead because so much of the conversation around innovation centers around you know, driverless delivery and drones dropping off a pizza in my window. And, you know, I don't know, pies. Being so much made of other people's rig. conversations. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> and not enough on easier attainable innovations that are going to improve the customer experience. Mm -hmm. So, so that's one and I'll get the other one in and then I will, I will take your criticisms or feedback. No. Yeah. Okay. The other ones is this idea of the new customer and how important it's going to be for retailers to understand and hmm. migration plays into this. Yes. Inflation clearly plays into this, at least the first half of the year. But one of my favorite things is when we look at the return to work, how the return to work is playing out. So for example, we see about 40% down in most cities we're looking at. We have 11 cities that we look at indexes of office buildings. Mm. And for the most part, we're in that 30 to 40% range of down of visits compared to where they were pre-pandemic. Hmm. But when we look at unique visitors, it's only down around 20 to 30%. So that's a pretty significant gap which means lots of people are going back. They're just not going back as often as they did pre-pandemic. And the other interesting thing here is when they go back. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday have increased the proportion of visits compared to where they were pre-pandemic. And Monday and Friday have seen declines, which tells us that there's a different type of individual than there was pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. Pre-pandemic, we were weekend, weekday. Now there are three stages to the average worker. There is the days they're in the office of the work week. 
the days they're at home on the work week, and then the weekend. And what's interesting is we have more flexibility to do the types of things we want to do on that day that we're working from home. Mm-hmm. If I had to be in the office at nine and I'm not going into the office, I can go to the grocery store at eight. Mm-hmm. I can get the things done. And it's not just what that means for my grocery shop. It's what does it mean for my weekend that I don't need to do that shop on a Saturday or Sunday? Mm-hmm. And I think understanding that consumer and that changing context is really valuable for retailers in terms of understanding the things that they can offer, types of experiences that are going to be a draw and what they can expect from the consumer in the coming years. Yeah, that's great. I, I love these two slides. And what are you, what are your initial thoughts watching reading I mean, them and I think this to is Ethan? the I think this is the most um like eye-opening part of this entire discussion, Ethan, because I think it it does have an impact on retailers. I was just thinking about that yesterday. Like I was shopping at Trader Joe's at two o'clock in the afternoon and it's busy on a Monday afternoon where that would typically be a slow time. And I think you're absolutely right. It doesn't just change though for retailers. It also changes in all of, I think the, the other industries that surround retail, like QSR and, you know, you know, more Mm. Monday morning traffic at 9am or something. Um, It also changes, I think, the drug, you know, market and that behavior. And when people are going in to pick up prescriptions or going into doctor's offices and even fitness too. I think that we saw in a, in a couple of earlier slides that you put out the, the dramatic increase in fitness center visits uh, that have happened over the course of the last two years. So I think this slide, this, this new customer behavior is really kind of unlocking a lot of the explanation behind some of the trends that we're seeing. And I think we'll continue to see in 2023. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. My takeaways are pretty similar. Like I actually think you look at this and you say like, who's going to win like fitness for sure with that new behavior wins the fitness locations. The other thing too, is the malls. Like I think the malls win with this because it's an extension of the weekend. Mm -hmm. You know, you're probably having more three-day weekends, more four-day weekends. And then like to Ethan's point, if you need to go and get some clothes for something you have coming up. You can go do that on a Monday or Friday now much more easily. So yeah. And services inside there too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I think the malls just got me thinking, Chris, of like mm-hmm. the, the position that a lot of them could take, especially like if you can have, like, if you have a nice coffee shop or restaurant, like mm-hmm. you're doing a coffee meeting on a Friday and then you're, yep. you're running errands and returning online orders. And then you're able to do some browsing or bring your computer to the Apple store. Like all yeah, of those right. things are driving so much more traffic and, and duration of time at the malls than have ever happened before. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then the other prediction too, Ethan, I'm curious, this one's kind of funny for me. Cause I feel like we're a little bit back to the future. Like I think, I feel like I went, I bet, and you feel the same way. I feel like we went in our DeLorean here because that was the topic du jour before the pandemic. Like how do digital native brands use their technology and their data acumen to stand up physical retail and to do it in a way that creates a more seamless environment for the customer. And I feel like now we're just like, okay, we're back to that. Like let's, you know, physical stores matter. You can't just be digitally native. The economics of it don't work long-term. So let's figure that out. But so I'm a little jaded on that one, but like, I think it's real. I think it's an accurate prediction, but it's a little bit back to the future, which for where we sit, it's kind of like, eh, okay. You know, we've been talking about that for six (laughs) years, but you know, but I don't know, Ethan, you get the last word here. I mean, well, one, first of all, agree with everything you said about the kind of the, this new customer and what it means for their shopping patterns. And I think the added piece there is like, which retailers lean into incentivizing the behavior. So whether mm-hmm. you're kind of a coffee shop that says, Hey, if you come in on a Monday afternoon or right. a weekday afternoon, here's the added deal. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I think is, is really interesting and could create some, some exciting opportunities. I think with the kind of the idea of this real embracing of, of kind of harmonized retail, omni-channel retail, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this for ages, but 
who's actually been doing it? The answer right. is like almost no one. And then even when we were talking about it, it was, you know, again, pre-pandemic. I mean, we we only met like about a six weeks before the pandemic, but pre-pandemic, <laughs> right. the dominant narrative was retail apocalypse. It was, right. you need to do Omni because physical is dying. Right. It wasn't right. physical is becoming more important. And that's actually the reason you need to be doing Omni. And I think that's the shift of like the recognition that what you accomplish in a physical store is actually more important than what it would have been before. And it's a wider perspective on what's yep. being accomplished. So it's not just sales per square foot anymore. It's marketing and advertising value. It's touch and feel. It's more flagshipy style takeaways and goals. And I think that's where the really interesting element Yeah, is. right. 100%. And recognizing it is far different than doing it well, too. And you start thinking about all the technologies required to bridge the gaps between those two experiences, too. All right. Well, Ethan, that was awesome. I loved it. Great conversation today. Mm -hmm. Very, very spirited too. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about Placer and how they can add insights like this to drive their business, what's the best way for them to do that? So one, you know, visit placer.ai, uh, check out our free version. And then if you want to reach out to me directly, one, you know, just, just message me. We're all on LinkedIn right now. And then, uh, or I'll reach out to me at Ethan at placer.ai. All right. Well, that wraps us up. Thanks to Ethan Chernofsky of Placer AI for sitting down with us today. And thanks to all of you that joined us live on LinkedIn. And as always, on behalf of Ethan and, and myself and all of us here at OmniTalk, be careful out there. 